Hey everyone, I'm Dave Alley, and this is All Things Climbing. This week we've got a conversation with scary trad climbing virtuoso Nick Barry. Nick is a Salt Lake local who's made his name freeing hard lines on big walls in Zion, Yosemite, and elsewhere around the world. I first heard of Nick when I read that he'd freed lunar ecstasy in Zion. This blew my mind at the time, and still does in fact, and I was psyched to ask him about it. He's also racked up ticks at the South A Wall and El Corazon on El Cap, the Hallucinogen Wall in Black Canyon, and China Doll on Gear in Boulder. He recently logged another super productive season in Yosemite with red points of Wet Lycra Nightmare on Leaning Tower and Father Time on Middle Cathedral. When he isn't climbing, Nick also works as a nurse in emergency departments around the country. We caught up as he was getting ready to drive up to the Cascades to try a project on Prussic Peak and he gave us his thoughts on what else is on his bucket list, what goes into the process of finding potentially freeable big wall routes, and how he balances a career in healthcare with the need to be sharp on hard or scary climbs. As always, I'm donating the proceeds from the show after our production costs to the American Safe Climbing Association and the Access Fund. Rhino Skin Solutions is as big on these causes as we are, so check them out if you want to help support climbing safety and access, or if you want to just climb your hardest. Now on to my conversation with Nick. So I was actually going to ask you, I want to start by asking you about um, the routes that you were just on in Yosemite. I saw that you spent some time on Wet Lycra Nightmare on Leaning Tower. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, my really good friend, Mason, um, and I had talked about climbing it since the wintertime. And um, we have a another project on El Cap that we had been working on um, previously for the mm. past few seasons. Okay. And both of us were just kind of like mentally worked at that point. Um, yeah. That sort of objective, especially because it doesn't really follow any obvious crack systems for the beginning of it. And that's what like or nightmare or the or the El Cap project. The El Cap project. Oh, gotcha. mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just very, you know, like mentally draining, and you gotta be psyched in Yosemite a hundred percent, or I feel like things don't really. Um, come together as they should because yeah. it requires your like full attention and full, um, you know, like mental state to be there. Yeah. Um, so we, we, we wanted a little break. And so we were like, we were always looking over and um, the other side of the canyon and um, what did them daydreams over there. And it's, is steeper. It's totally different style of climbing. And it just like offered this nice change from what we had been trying. And um, yeah, it's amazing route put up by Todd Skinner, I think in 2004. And then Alex Honnell got the second ascent. And then it, yeah, it hadn't been done um, since. And that's when yeah, wet denim daydream. Yep. Uh-huh. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and is, so is wet like or nightmare a neighboring route or is, is it a, a variation? It's the same thing. Um, wet like or nightmare is the free line and wet denim um, is the aid line, I believe. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Kind of like, um, the mirror wall and the premier kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. But it, it very, it pretty much falls the whole aid line except the very top roof. And then the, uh, the crux pitch diverges to a roof, um, boulder problem and then traverses back in. Nice. Um, but dude, uh, yeah, I saw a photo of <laughs> on your Instagram feed of you sort of dinoing into a chicken wing that i mean how do you even approach routes that are known to contain moves like that right like you have to set aside time to work those really oddball sequences or can you is is that the kind of thing where you can just approach with other knowledge from similar routes elsewhere in the valley and say okay i i kind of can work this route you know ground up 
Um, yeah, you have to just attack it as is because it's so unique that um, even I've been climbing for 12 years and I've never encountered anything like that, you know? And so <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, there's like, it, it was just more or less like laughing at the absurdity of it. And it took a long time. The actual move is difficult, but it's more of wrapping your head around actually telling yourself that you have to dangle off of a chicken wing yeah. <laughs> and then thrust your leg up. You know, it's just like this mental block. You're like, no, you don't do that sort yeah. of thing at rock climbing. Like, there's just know? no like, way that that's the path of least resistance, right? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly. so outli- unlikely, rather. Um, yeah. And, and it's just, it's. I guess it struck me because I feel like Yosemite always has this, is talked about as having like a unique style and it's, I feel like it's fair to say that it's distinct from even, you know, similar places like Index or Squamish or, or whatever. And, you know, Yosemite sometimes just has this flaring, grovelly stuff that you encounter. And I, I guess it's like part of the charm. But but that just seems like if you took that point to like the furthest logical possible extension, like that would be it. You know, like dinoing to a chicken wing in a chimney. And yeah, like that's that's about as caricature of Yosemite climbing as as it seems like it gets. Yeah, that no, that's a very yeah good statement. Yeah, it's um, spot on for sure. The uh, yeah, just the absurdity of it and the groveling and like the blue collar nature of the climbing being yeah. so physical and um, abrasive and things. It's you know I think it's what a lot of people get deterred about from it. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's also you know one of the brilliant things. It's so unique and. Um, doing that sort of thing also is so satisfying in your climbing, like yeah. finding, you know, something that ridiculous and, um, <laughs> just making yourself do it and accepting it. And you're mm-hmm. like, well, this is, you know, it's the only way to the top got to yeah. do it. Like, <laughs> so is it, I, I guess like sometimes I, I wonder these things from afar as a climber who's not even anywhere near that, that level is like, it's hard. It looks hard, but is it fun? You know, I mean, do you sometimes encounter those types of moves where you just think like, man, this is like really, really hard, but I'm not enjoying this. Like, I don't want to put in the work to do this. Um, So for that particular move, I would say it is fun once you figure it out. Even with the most difficult climbing, typically you find some sort of flow in it. Um, It doesn't, you know, by the time you've worked it all out and um, all the micro beta is sorted, Um, you find some way to flow through it. And that was the same, you know, at first you're just thrutching around and I had a massive goby on my, the (sighs) inner part of my, um, elbow from it and it would rip open every time. So obviously (laughs) that wasn't enjoyable. Like I actually stashed a long sleeve shirt right at the base of the pitch, um, because it was, you know, like, like a cottonish shirt, um, and had the right amount of friction and stuff. But I, the entire inside of the elbow was just saturated in blood. And I've actually oh. washed it um, twice now. And it's, I, I don't know if the blood stain will come out. I'm going to have <laughs> to get some like, heavy duty stain remover. But yeah, uh, so like that's not enjoyable. But mm-hmm. the climbing, you know, besides having a goby, like if I went up there with it healed now, it, I would probably find yeah. it enjoyable. Nice. Okay. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, uh, there's just like, I don't know, maybe this is not quite analogous, but there are just sometimes when 
I, yeah, if touch holds that are too sharp or too small or moves that are just so harsh on the skin like that. I'm like, man, I don't even aspire to this. Like, I, I don't want yeah. that. And, and <laughs> yeah, uh, I yeah. saw that photo of you and I was like, Jesus, no, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Everyone's comments on all the Instagram were just like, oh, he looks like he's in a terrible position. <laughs> that looks awful. Yeah. And then like one of my friends, Tara, um, actually sent me a picture of the one from BD and like photoshopped a toilet underneath me because it looked like <laughs> I was just like taking a dookie. And, yeah, pretty classic. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I guess I want to ask you a follow up, a couple follow up questions about some of the big wall free climbing that you've done and mostly about uh, lunar ecstasy in Zion, which you got the first free ascent of. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So that was, um, that route, I'm really, really looking forward to talking to you about this because that route was the first, um, the first like big wall that I ever did. And I was, I guess, you know, charging a little in over my head, just being like, I'm just, I want to do this. I'm just going to figure it out. But I was so gripped. I mean, just the, mo the most gripped I've ever been as a climber. And I was just in, in, I was on ladders, you know, for those, like for the pitches up mm -hmm. the tips crack. Yeah. And I came back from that and saw that you had freed it. And I was like, no fucking way. And, uh, I just, oh my God. I mean, how I have so many questions. <laughs> like, how do you, yeah. <laughs> how do you climb that crack? That was like, I was just watching these like micro micro offset stoppers, like slide through the sandy rock at the bottom of these pods. Like, well, I'm about <laughs> to lose both my ankles for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I mean, how, like, I don't even understand how you do that. There's just nothing in that pitch. So, you know, how did you, how did you find out that that was a potentially freeable line? Um, so I climbed the line to the left of it in the winter. Okay. Is that, um, um, sheer lunacy? Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. And, uh, my buddy Rob and I were looking over and I was like, Oh my God, that is such an amazing splitter that I was just staring at it the whole time. Um, and I was in school at the time doing my nursing prereqs. And so I, in spring break, I had a week off and went up there and checked it out and, figured out the upper part. Mm. Um, and then the lower part, there's actually this slab that I couldn't wrap my head around then. Um, yeah. so I, I turned the corner for, um, I think like one and a half pitches and then did a traverse back. Gotcha. Right. Um, but yeah, that the like D splitter pitch is probably 13 C or something. And yeah. it's just insane. It's like, Oh man, the I, best splitter that I think I've ever climbed still. I, I mean, I, it's so gorgeous as a route for sure. And yeah, I mean, if, if anybody's listening and hasn't seen this, like definitely go check it out. It's just to the left of moonlight. But, um, I remember getting to the top of the first tip pitch in the tips crack and eventually getting in a 0.2 Camelot, like blue alien size piece and being like, oh, thank God. Now I have like a real size cam in, you know, just for, I mean, that's maybe the most like descriptive way I can communicate how tiny this crack is. Is it like 80 feet up? I was like, finally something that's real. And I mean, do you climb that yeah. <laughs> like pod to pod or, I mean, that's like a, that's like a, I can't even imagine getting my fingers in that. Are you just like crimping the edge of it? I mean, I'm not even sure what to picture. 
<laughs> yeah, so I remember I think my fingers were smaller because I was much younger. Uh-huh. Um, but I've actually thought a lot about this. I wonder if I went back if I could put my fingers in it still because yeah. it was really thin. <laughs> yeah. Bottom. Oh, man. Um, but uh, yeah, because I remember placing a lot of red C3s in it. Mm. And yeah, it was all thumbs up, you know, just like the bottom of your bottom fingers, you know. Yeah. But yeah, you could, there were like little feet that made it work. But uh, yeah, then it came up to this really difficult boulder problem and then it arched back and it was super steep, just like hero, you know, yes. finger locks out yeah. this like steeper zone. Yeah. Like, and you just felt like such a boss. You're just like charging. You're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. It's incredible position. I mean, is that the, the section of climbing that leads up to the amoeba, that, that like seemingly detached flake? Maybe. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Right at the, it turns into a dihedral yeah, above that. Yeah, that pitch is super thin. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Unreal. There's like a 13A pitch twin cracks. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's like super thin, just bouldery. You're like crimping, and like oh, maybe awesome. it like opens up to little pods. But uh, yeah, and that amoeba pitch is actually really nice too. It's like a really nice 512 pitch. Oh man, well, uh, congratulations on that again. That was um, that that was one of the so you know as as like a I guess more like climbing observer than high level climber myself. I, I I've obviously heard about all these things that I abstractly know are incredibly impressive. You know, I mean up even up to like Alex uh-huh. Arnold free soloing the free rider and that kind of thing. Like I read that and I'm like wow, but I have no concept really. And you yeah. freeing lunar ecstasy was really the first time that I kind of got to be like face to face with a super cutting edge route and it man it just left such an impression on me i was so blown away that that was freeable so i'm super impressed man that's awesome yeah oh thank you i appreciate it so with that big wall free climbing game i i wonder like how do you i mean you said you just you climb sheer lunacy and were able to kind of like check out the route in this case but is there you know like a group think tactic where people kind of talk amongst themselves about what might be the, the freeable routes? Like, I'm just thinking, you know, you're looking at El Cap and looking at all the lines on it and going around and, and figuring out what, which routes are potential candidates for free climbs must be such an enormous undertaking. And in the media, you hear all about, oh, so-and-so freed this route, so-and-so freed that route. And it's talked about in a like, well, here's this known information and you just trained hard and you went and executed and so forth. But it kind of skips over what, in my mind must be this like unbelievably hard to navigate process of saying, well, you know, here's this massive route in Zion or black Canyon or, you know, Yosemite or whatever. And, and just figuring out like, is there a free climb here? Seems like it would be really hard. I mean, is there, how how did, how does the community approach that stuff? Um, so a lot of it, I feel like has happened over the years where one person tries it and maybe they, aren't quite capable at that time and leave it. And then someone else who, you know, later in another era will like come along and like find out that it's possible and put more work into it. Um, that's what's happened with a lot of El Cap routes. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, some of them like, you know, Tommy on the Don wall, he was just repelling the entire wall and swinging around and finding things, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's so proud. Yeah, totally. He, just the, you know, audacity to drop in on that thing and pull your lines and keep going down just seems so terrifying to me. <laughs> but, uh, yes. 
and I think it also, you know, this is another thing that sometimes I think gets lost or gets underappreciated is had we fixate on, on him having sent the Dawnwall, which is amazing, but we, um, had he, let's say in, a, in an alternate universe where he works on it for all those years and ends up not sending just the find, like unearthing that route is a major, major accomplishment. Right. And, um, yeah. And that's what I think is sometimes mm-hmm. like, no, I, I just don't, I don't know that we do a good job of stopping and saying like, wow, that's like, that's real. That's super crazy that you found a route there that, to hand off to the next generation, you know? Yeah. Cause there's so much in that takes like so much experience with an eye of a climber to mm-hmm. read a route in that way. Yeah. Um, and understand where the line goes and what path to follow. Um, and yeah, so to the extreme degree of Tommy putting all those years into doing that, that is such an achievement in and of itself just to find a possible way, let alone actually climbing it. Like he is, you know, that's why Tommy's the man, he's (laughs) the top dog and you know, it, uh, yeah, like on, on our route, Mason and I, it took us, we went up a slab and we were going ground up, um, just trying to like quest up and it took a month to do 600 feet because we, you know, would start going up and then would just totally blank out and we'd Mm -hmm. have to come back down and start up a new path. And it's such a roller coaster of emotions. That's yeah. You know, it's so hard to deal with. Yeah. Um, And just like maintaining. It's also so rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. To like finally find a way and have, you know, your eye take you out there is, it's, it's worth all the effort for sure. That's awesome. Um, it seems like with El Cap that there's just no shortage of hard face pitches that really launch a lot of those free climbs into the 514 grade. But it seems as though in the desert, more the sandstone area, I guess Indian Creek, but you know, a lot of the free routes that have gone in in Zion seem to be settling into that 513 grade at, you know, maybe a little high end, maybe low end, that kind of thing. Um, and I was wondering if you had any thoughts on, on why it seems that there, like a lot of the lines tend to cluster around 513 in, you know, I guess in, in Zion specifically, like, um, I'm thinking about how, uh, there's a, throughout like the mountain West, there's like tons and tons of 14ers, but all of the highest mountains in the continental mm-hmm. U.S. are like within a few hundred feet of each other, like seemingly coincidentally, like why are there no 15ers? You know what I mean? And, (laughs) and it's sort of, I feel that way about the walls in Zion, you know, like each new wall that gets freed, it's like 513 this, 513 that. But like, if there's not like an even distribution and I'm I'm just kind of curious why. I think the simple answer is it's just not cool enough. (laughs) Yeah. No, uh, yeah. (laughs) But uh, no, it's, uh, I think it's because of the nature of the, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, I think a lot of it is just because of the nature of the stone um mm. typically you have to it's sheer on either side with uh sandstone um and really for 514 climbing for the most part you have to start dealing with more face holds yeah um but to zion's defense i don't think that a lot of people have been there um looking for that yet Sure. Um, and I, I actually, I, I want to start going there and looking around a little more, um, cause I am stronger now and feel like more capable of climber than I was when I was climbing there a fair bit. But, uh, 
I think it is possible. It's just going to take, you know, this generation to do so. And um, no one's really been searching with that sort of eye yet. I don't think there. Is there a lot of potential there? I guess to launch off your point about not having a lot of people go and scope it out or, uh, you know, when you mentioned needing a lot of face, thin face climbing for, you know, to really break into that next level, I wonder, is the rock in Zion kind of a consumable good in the way that would, you know, prevent you from really finding super high quality face hold routes that are going to last, right? No, that's a very valid point. Um, and I think it depends on the type of stone. Hopefully it would be the the really iron rich dark stuff that you would be climbing on and it wouldn't be friable, but yeah, then you would, you know, if something is really friable and it's the only option, then you got to debate with like, you know, will it hold? Does it need reinforcement? Is that even like reasonable? You know, so on, so on. Yeah. Um, is it worth my time? But, nobody's going to be able to come. Yeah, back and hopefully, climb it? hopefully it wouldn't come to that. Yeah, exactly. Right. And that's just kind of a bummer, especially in like, as, I think as you age a little more as a climber, it's such a fun thing to hear people talking about routes you've done and experiencing them and what they think. And um, it's, yeah, it's such a gratifying thing to have, you know, so it, it's, it's a bummer if something wouldn't would break and wouldn't be possible after that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I imagine that'd be a huge disappointment that you had put in like a classic route and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, a, a one after that. Yeah. Oh, like man. one move and nobody yeah. would ever want to do it. They're yeah. like, no, it's an aid route now. Like I'm never <laughs> going up there. Exactly. Like, There's well, there goes two, two seasons of my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I, w- I was actually curious about to ask you about um, your nursing, if that's okay. Yeah, have at it. Um, you mentioned in the you mentioned in the past um, needing, I guess, pursuing that because you wanted to find something in your life to provide balance um, to to all the climbing that you were doing, and that you sort of wanted something something else beyond just being a climber. And I wondered if you could put your finger on what would have been missing in the scenario where you're a, like a full time full-time climber yeah it was just having everything in my life um revolving around self-gratification um as a professional climber you yeah you inspire people you can teach clinics you you have outlets to give back and you know do uh stuff with the access fund and help with you know different volunteer events but um in the end it's so much time about you. Yeah. And I actually find that a little exhausting. Mm. Um, and I don't think everyone, I think some people manage it much better. Maybe they're more like proactive and, um, you know, the other roles of giving back to the climbing community than I was. But, uh, it, to me, it felt like a massive hole that I was lacking. And I also wanted balance in my life. I wanted a real job. I didn't want to put everything into rock climbing. Mm -hmm. Um, because I really, the people I looked up to had jobs and had, you know, more well-balanced lives in that way. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of realized that I wanted that for myself and nursing, 
was the perfect outlet for me to have that, but also have, um, everything I want in climbing. Um, mm-hmm. cause I, I don't need to be climbing a hundred percent of the time all year round. Um, right now I usually work about six months and climb six months and yeah. By the by, three months off because I did in I do a three month job, three months off usually, and then three month job and three months off. Um, That's awesome. By the end of three months of climbing, I feel like I really want to go work and give back. And by the time I'm done working, I really want to go climbing. And so it <laughs> yeah. it feels it really well. You know, it, yeah. it just works really well for me right now. That's awesome, man. That's well, cool that you're doing that. It's like, and you're 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 travel nursing. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, and what sort of, what, what type of nursing do you do? Uh, I've only been in the emergency department. Oh, cool. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of just stuck there, but I, I really enjoy it. It's yeah. a, you know, I, I like the fast pace of it. I like, I can't stand sitting still. So, um, yeah. it definitely suits me in that way. And we work 12 hour shifts. So if you're, if you're sitting, you know, around for 12 hours, it'd be a long time. So is there, do you have like, um, with a three month on three month off kind of thing, do you find yourself having this like jet laggy switch between the two in terms of your mental state? I mean, is there enough of a comparison between when you're at work in the emergency department versus when you need to be like turned on, on a, on a climb or are you kind of like first week off of one switching into the other? Like, oof, boy, okay. Gotta, gotta like break out the whole separate toolkit here. Yeah. Good question. Um, actually, yeah, I have trouble with this all the time from coming from work to just climbing. There's so much more downtime, so I'm less stimulated uh-huh. and my mind wanders a lot more. Oh yeah. So if I'm not being really productive with my climbing or feel like I am, then a lot of times I feel like I could be, you know, giving back better if I was nursing. Yeah. Um, but if I'm really productive, I seem to do okay, but I definitely have trouble with the, the initial shift from, um, working in the emergency department to just climbing. It always seems really slow Yeah. and like I'm missing some, you know, like too much downtime. Mm -hmm. Just sitting at a belay with your thoughts. Yeah. I'm just like, Oh, I just get to sit here and like watch the swallows, like fly around and play (laughs) like, that's awesome. <laughs> but, you know, after a while, you just, you know, you love it. Yeah, it it's nice it. just to have that downtime and chill. So, but, and coming back into it, it's usually easier. Yeah. Do you, is it like hard to go the other way when you show up in the emergency department and you're like, oh my God, I haven't been out of second gear in three months. And now there's like, you got to go back into like hair on fire mode. <laughs> yeah. It can be a little overwhelming, especially because I go into a totally new facility that I'm unfamiliar oh, with. Oh gosh. Um, I didn't think about that. And so I, know where anything is and I'm like searching and stuff for everything and uh feeling like a goober so but that I like that feeling because I feel like my I'm you know my my brain's in overdrive all the time and that feels you know really stimulating and um Mm -hmm. I get a lot of energy from it and so it's it's really nice that's awesome so with that kind of three month on three month off schedule how do you like how do you manage I guess your upcoming goals, right? Cause you, you all of a sudden have this schedule that I imagine is different week to week and, you know, different shift times and so forth. But, you know, you have to keep up with not only physical training, but 
I imagine, you, you know, technique reinforcement and like the, the psychological training of like trying hard on a route or like climbing in a dicey situation and that kind of thing. I mean, do you have techniques that you use to kind of like carry those skills over from one stint to the next? So this is a constant evolving process. Um, I used to just fully pretty much focus on training in the gym, mm-hmm. but then I lacked, I, I noticed that my technique going outside would be really poor and I wouldn't be able to apply the strength that I had. Um, and so now I'm trying to make sure that I continue to climb outside, um, to maintain my technique, um, and, you know, not have such a lag so I can kind of have a faster transition once I go out. But, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, I still mainly focus on training while I'm working because it's, um, working is really mentally taxing for me Mm -hmm. and it's hard for me to have projects and work I find at the same time. Like it's much, I, I just don't succeed and I don't have as much fun with it. Um, as when I'm, when I'm climbing full time, I can fully, you know, just immerse myself in, you know, whatever my current project is. And it's, I, I seem to be more productive doing that than trying to battle like working and climbing at the same time. Yeah. Oh, that makes total sense, man. I mean, you've only got so much psychological bandwidth and, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure that type of work takes it out of you for sure. So if you're, if you're going to be training for a lot of that time, you know, do you have to manage your joints and your tendons and your skin and all that type of stuff when you're in a new city, maybe, maybe they have a modern climbing facility, but maybe not. And maybe access to outdoor climbing, maybe not. I mean, yeah, I would say that my skin is the worst when I am training. Um, just because, uh, I have these kind of funky pinkies that turn inwards, um, towards my ring fingers Mm. and they just take a lot of blunt, um, a, a lot of the blunt work, but, yeah. uh, was that, was that true before um, so the ecstasy like <laughs> and stuff? Yeah. 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 Maybe that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> Lunar X. Yeah. Yeah. Broken pinkies now. Yeah, um, yeah. worth it. But, uh, yeah. And you know, all my, I make sure to, you know, training is really hard on, on your body. So I make yeah. sure to do all my antagonist stuff, but, uh, yeah, skin skin's a huge deal with nursing as well because you're just washing your hands all the time. Your skin's always wet. It's not the best environment for, uh, you know, for like repairing skin when it's just like always saturated and you're having to soap in, soap out of like all your rooms, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to be really aware of that and um, use like good skincare products. Um, I'm lucky because uh, Rhino Skin Solutions like hooks me up with um, product, and so I can manage that better. Um, but uh, yeah, their you know their line is really nice. I, I really enjoy you know both their repair. It just helps when my skin's um, really dry from washing my hands so much. Yeah. Um, and then their performance is always nice when I'm, I've been working a lot in Sacramento and like the heat and stuff. So it just dries you out and it doesn't, you know, crack your skin, your skin's still pliable and, um, works well. It's just like drier and in like much better condition than it would be otherwise. So the skin, skincare management is, I guess, something that is maybe, I, I consider it to be like a, 
um, it's like a higher level climbing consideration in some ways, in the sense that I think people, if you're plotting like the average trajectory into the sport, maybe someone takes them outside for the first time or that you find a gym and that kind of thing. But oftentimes climbers are climbing for sort of a long time until they're introduced to the concept that you, you need to just make sure that your skin isn't falling off of your hands when you're climbing. <laughs> and, um, like I know I was sort of like a late arriver to that party. Uh huh. And so <laughs> I was wondering if you could share some of your wisdom with me about like, what are you looking for in preparation for like a trip out? Right. When you're trying to say, I want to go out there, I want to have multiple full days and not have like day one ruin the trip for me because you know, I, I'm, I destroy my skin on some boulder problem or something like that. Hmm. So, uh, I really look for, uh, you know, you don't want to be pink. You want to make sure that you don't have any, um, any sort of like gouges or anything, or if you do, you want to file all that flat because it's just an opportunity for an edge to catch on that area, um, easier and tear. Mm. Um, and so I'm really proactive in filing, uh, make sure all my skin is flat. And if I do have any sort of tear, I, uh, I always get, tw- um, some fingernail clippers and clip away the ends. So it has, it's a much wider, um, uh, split and mm-hmm. it's just, uh, it's much harder for any sort of rock to catch on in that way. And then yeah. I, you know, I always try to tape it and, and keep it, um, keep it moisturized with, you know, some sort of balm or neosporin or something. Um, and then, you know, you can let it dry out, like let it sit on for four hours, let it dry out for like half an hour and let it, uh, be wet because a moist environment is better for skin healing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You also want your fingers to be like fairly hard depending on different rock types. It gets more complicated with different rocks because, uh, um, sandstone, you can be a little softer because the rock's more porous, but granite, you want your fingers to be, you know, have really good callus. Um, because the rock is so hard, you know, I, I think like the prime example would be, you know, like Bishop or, um, a place that is, you need, you know, really hard skin and would also be, um, like Waco tanks or something. Joshua tree. Um, yeah, Joshua tree. Yeah. You, mm-hmm. you need skin of steel on Joshua tree. Yeah. You know, that was like shred where, all your skin off. That was for sure where my eyes were open to the need for skincare. We were. My wife and I were on a road trip with our son when he was just born. He was six weeks old at the time. And that was like our last, we were doing a bouldering trip and that was like our last stop. And I just showed up and just destroyed my skin day one. And I was like, all right, well, <laughs> this trip's over. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That area is so brutal. <clears throat> so I haven't climbed there much, but yeah, yeah it's, it's hard. Yeah. I, I was trying a boulder problem there that some kids were like, oh, this is classic V5 around the corner. You should give it a go. And so I was like working on it and working on it and just like not realizing the damage that I was doing at the time. And then some other guy came over and just, you know, yeah. cruised it as part of like a circuit. Really nice guy. We start talking. He's like, oh, yeah, this problem. You only really get two tries in this thing. <laughs> I was like, oh, I wish I, <laughs> I wish I had known that before I ruined my climbing Yeah, yeah. Trip. You're like, where were you like two hours earlier, <laughs> <know>. bro? <laughs> Seriously. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's a real yeah. learning curve there for sure. But, um, yeah. but yeah, that's like, you know, I guess making that stuff work for you instead of against you, it seems like, I guess I had no insight into the fact that, you know, people start 
managing that skincare stuff in like the week leading up to a trip. It's not just like, oh, you, this is like special Neosporin that you put on your skin. It's like getting it to be in the right condition days ahead of time. Totally. Yeah. And, and knowing, you know, I think a lot of it just comes with experience and knowing how hard you want your skin prior to a trip, depending on what rock type you're, um, um, you know, your trip's going to be at, um, cause every destination, you know, kind of requires like slightly different things. And, um, I, I can't say I have it down to a total science, but yeah. I definitely try, you know, with granite be really hard tips and then like, you know, sandstone, you want to be like a little bit softer usually, um, unless you're trying to, you know, some like super crimpy boulder, then yeah. maybe you want to be a little harder. But, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm actually always splitting my tip at Joe's Valley cause there's just some really nasty, sharp crimps there. Yeah. Uh, but I, yeah, so there, there's a lot of areas I haven't mastered, but, uh, you know, I think in general, if you're crimping really hard, you want really hard skin. Yeah. And that's maybe like, I think you maybe just got right to the heart of it. And that seems like the wisdom of the rhino skin approach to this is that as compared to something like antihydral, you've got this whole line of things in the rhino skin case where you're either able to really hone in on the specific, like person by person differences, but also within one person's experience, really go for like a specific rock type even you know you have so much room to like pinpoint yeah what you're going for yeah and that's kind of a funny world yeah with like you know anhydral was the first thing on the market and then um but that stuff was so difficult to use because if you just got it in your crease you would split all the time it mm-hmm. was so powerful and rhino kind of took that and saw that there was a market for it and um you know, it's super helpful just to be able to apply a lotion on your skin, like performance, which is much less potent than, um, than, uh, anhydral is and not have to worry about splitting and all your creases and things, but still have, you know, good balance between, you know, both pliable skin. So it's not so hard that you feel glassy on the rock. Um, mm-hmm. but, you know, it, it's hard enough that you're not sweating and greasing off. Yeah. Um, which is, yeah, it's a nice, and, and, you know, they have different products different. They have like dry, which is more intense drying and performance, which is, um, a little less. I think that's like one quarter of what, um, what, uh, anhydral has and the dry is one half of what anhydral has. Um, and so you can kind of balance depend on like how sweaty you are and things like that to really give you the best option, especially for the people who don't have huge chunks of time to go off and climb on the week. Um, you know, on big trips, if Mm -hmm. you only have like four days and you're like, I have to do this boulder in four days, um, you know, you obviously, <laughs> you know, want to be like fully prepped, yes. you know, cause you know, yeah, paid time off as a bitch. Yeah. Don't do what yeah, I did yeah. on the John Backer Memorial face problem. That was just embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. That's like, let that be a lesson to you yeah. all. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So what, a couple general questions for you to, to, to wrap this up. What are some of the, your, the other climbs that are really high in your bucket list? Hmm. Um, it's a good question. Um, 
been a dream of mine to always climb um, a 514 Tommy Caldwell route on El Cap. Nice. So like magic mushroom. I, I maybe I'm kind of leaning more towards dihedral wall. It's uh-huh. such an amazing um, corner system. Yeah. And so obvious, and it looks so nice, um, especially because our route is right near it. So mm. we're always um, looking over. Um, and yeah, that thing's that's actually my like number one thing in my climbing at this point to do. Nice. Um, awesome. But I'd also like to start. I went to Kyrgyzstan years ago, and I'd like to go back to there. There's this amazing um, wall there um, called the Russian Shield, and I'd like to do that. Um, or at least just like free whatever's possible. It's a such an incredible wall. It's like 900 meters, perfect stone, just as good as anything on El Cap, you know. Yeah. Um, but in like this insane location, so that's awesome. That'd be cool. Yeah, I think I think that and just doing more adventure trips. Yeah. I think you know that's such a fun component of rock climbing that's easy to overlook, especially with today times of like everyone just wanting to train and get stronger yeah. and climb a higher number i want to make sure that i'm balancing that with um what climbing really means to me and um i think that adventure component is really important to me what um i guess this is stemming off of um talking about working towards a goal and training towards a goal but what's a piece of advice that you would give to beginner or intermediate climbers who are just starting to turn towards the idea of having a goal oriented relationship with the sport. Mm. I would say climb as much as possible. If you're a boulder, boulder as much as possible, you know, just, um, and if you're a root climber, just climb as many roots as you can. Yeah. Um, for, for that level of climbing, they don't, you don't quite need to train unless you're reaching a plateau. Um, and so you really just need to climb and understand the way your body should move. And, um, you'll get much stronger through knowing technique and, um, and just through climbing than you will ever training at mm-hmm. that level. Yeah. On a hangover um, and then once you, you know, once you just can't climb above a certain level, then move on to training. And I think that's the best really advice I could give. Um, okay. So. I have two, the last two are kind of would you rather style questions. And the first is, would you rather never deal with crowds on routes ever again for the rest of your life or go to space once? Ooh, never deal with crowds for sure. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Wow. So confident. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't care about space. <laughs> yeah. Who needs it? No rocks up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then would you rather have a cat in a dog's body or a dog in a cat's body? Hmm. A dog and a cat's, I think. Yeah. Okay. That'd be hilarious. Yeah. It would be so yeah. funny, especially if it barked That'd like be a amazing. dog still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be so great. Oh God. <laughs> cool. Nick, thank you yeah. so much for taking the time and answering these questions. I really appreciate it. Good luck. Uh, good luck in Washington on the route. And, Man, I hope you have a really great season. All right. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for listening. Subscribe and catch our next episode where Luke and I do a deep dive into how we climbers manage our resource. 
And what happens when there's a need for communities, counties, or parks to pursue regulation like bolt restrictions, route applications, etc. In the meantime, give us a rating on iTunes or leave us some feedback. We really love hearing from you, and it helps other folks find the show. Besides, Luke has an alert set on his phone for when we get a five-star rating on iTunes, so be sure to do that late at night or early in the morning so he knows you really care. 